is Cedar Hills Community Church in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, a place to be loved, a place to belong, and a place to serve. My name is Gary Sager, and I am the, the care minister here at church. And, um, so I have been, I get to deliver the third of a four-part series. The series is the fear of the Lord, but we are going over the book of Jonah, which happens to have four chapters. And interestingly enough, Jonah is only 48 verses long. And the, what we will focus on is chapter 3 today. At least that's what I'm supposed to be focused on today, on chapter 3. And that only has 10, 10 verses in that. So um, we are going to jump in with that. Before I do that, I do want to offer this blessing, that the Lord be with you. Good thing. So I think it'll probably come up on the screen, but I'm going to be reading from Jonah chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach the message that I tell you. So Jonah got up, went to Nineveh, according to the Lord's command. Now Nineveh was an extremely large city. A three-day walk, that's through it, not, not to it. A three-day walk. Jonah sent out, set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, In forty days, Nineveh will be demolished. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on a sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Then he issued a decree in Nineveh. By order of the king and his nobles, no man or beast, herd or flock, is to taste anything at all. They must not eat or drink water. Furthermore, both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth, and everyone must call out earnestly to God. Each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Then God saw their actions, that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster that he had threatened to do to them, and he did not do it. This is God's word. It is faithful, and we can rely on it. So we just jumped in in the middle of a, of a story here. And, and some of you have, have been here for the past couple of weeks, starting, starting with Jonah. But, but chapter 3 is a, a different place to start because it, it really is in the middle of the story. You, you can see when I started reading it, uh, it said that the word of the Lord appeared, appeared to him a second time. So for those of you that you know, aren't here, aren't familiar with the uh, story of Jonah, earlier on, which I'm going to give you some context, he told him to go to Nineveh. But so what I want to do, oh yeah, the first thing I do, I remember this, I'm going to call an audible. And Sue, my wife does not know what an audible is. I know a lot of you guys, but it's a sports term. I'm going to make a change right now for you. Some of you may have outlines of the, of the sermon. I don't know. There's papers back there. Just so you know, I am switching two terms. I'm still going to use the same terms, but when I use a term, and I'm talking about chapter 2, when Jonah, Jonah has a resolution, I'm going to take the word in chapter 3 that Jonah's relenting. I'm going to move that into chapter 2, and then I'm going to take resolution from chapter 2 and move that into chapter 3. Does that make sense? So those two words, if I present them wrong, 
from what you're saying, I think they have it right on the PowerPoint, so you wouldn't know anyway, but I want to let you know I'm going to switch terms up a little bit. As you start reading a, a whole story you start, and, and working through it, you go, well, you know, this actually would have fit better here. So that's, that's kind of what happened in this case. So what, what we're doing, what we're going to look at, we need to look at some context to make sense of chapter 3 because it is in the middle of the story, and if you would read it as it is, just as, as I looked at it, it looks like, well, Okay, great. The people of Nineveh, they repented. That's awesome. End of story. But we have another chapter in Jonah. And, and there's a lot that he says in chapter 4 that reflects back on what was happening. There's a lot that has been going on in the past that contributes to what's going on now. So I want to paint some context here. The first of context is I want to mention where Jonah, who Jonah is and where he's actually first mentioned in Scripture. And Pastor Kent had, had done this in the first sermon, but I want to just remind us. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verses 23 through 27, it talks about this king, Jeroboam II. So, the kingdom of Israel has had a civil war um, right after Solomon, Solomon's son, and a guy, Jeroboam I, took Israel, and then Solomon's son took Judah. Judah is a southern kingdom, Israel is a northern kingdom. So there are actually uh, two kingdoms, uh, and Jeroboam II is the king over Israel. And he reigned for a long time. He reigned for 41 years. And the Bible says that God didn't really look at him as a good king. But what he did do is he allowed this king to restore some property, some land back to the Israelites. Um, land that Israel hadn't had since Solomon was reigning. And he did this through his servant, the prophet Jonah. So Jonah was obviously the one that gave the prophecy to this king, hey, go and take this area. And so he did, and it said that he, God kind of saved Israel then through, he delivered Israel through this time, this rough patch that they were having. So he took this, this king who didn't change the idolatry in, in Israel, but uh, through these words of Jonah, I took that territory. So that's all we have about Jonah. We don't have any repent or anything like that, but we have a great message of, hey, you go ahead and you take this property. So, all right, the king's cool, Jonah's cool. Well, then Jonah, we go on to chapter 1 where he has his own book. And it starts off with the Lord saying, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh because they're a wicked people and their wickedness has risen up before me, and I want you to go preach against them, which means I want you to go and say, hey, repent. You're, you're, you're being wicked. Turn. Repent. Well, Jonah, okay, Jonah's a prophet of Israel, and he's being called to a foreign land in Assyria, the city of Nineveh. So I don't know what's going on with Jonah, but he does rebel, and he, and he runs. He says, uh-uh. And he goes down to the port of Joppa, Heads in the opposite direction, towards the land of Tarshish. Opposite direction, 2,000-something miles away from Nineveh. And God's like, you know, uh-uh, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to allow that. So he caused, God causes this storm to happen, and basically Jonah owns up and says, you know, it's really my fault the storm's happening. And he convinces the sailors to throw him over. So he gets thrown over, and the storm ceases, and these sailors worship God. So they believe in God and they worship God. So a great thing occurs then. And then the chapter ends with Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. 
So that was the first week. That's the first thing that happened. Jonah, he rebels and he runs away. Well, now in chapter 2, he's in the, the belly of this, this great beast. And that chapter starts off with Jonah uh, basically saying, hey, you know, I was near death. You tossed me over and I sank down, down, and seaweed was wrapped around my legs, and, and I saw the bars of hell and this kind of thing. And uh, So he's kind of calling, saying this is what happened, and then he kind of makes a little switch and says that he, he realizes that um, God is going to be the only salvation out of this, out of this place. And so he, uh, he makes the proclamation that, um, in verse, verse 9, but as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. I will fulfill what I have vowed. Salvation is from the Lord. So he, he relents. He says, you know what? I'm stuck here. You are the, are the only means of salvation. You know, I will, I will sacrifice to you, and I will do what I've told. I'm your prophet. I'll do what you tell me to do. And the fist vomited him out. So that's, that leads us to where we are now. So we do have this, this person who was a very reluctant prophet. But you know, as I read to you a few minutes ago, in chapter 3 it starts off, now a second time the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And he said, get up and go to Nineveh. Well, this time Jonah goes and he gives this message. He says, okay, okay, I'm going to go. He gets him, he goes there, and he gives a seven word message. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. So he could have said more, but this is all that the book of Jonah says, a seven-word message. But that really would, all, would be all he needs to say. Because Isaiah 55, 11 does remind us that God's word does not come back void. It, con- it t- continues, that verse continues to go on and says, what God wants to accomplish, he accomplished what he pleases, and that word that goes out, where he sent that word, it will prosper there. So, it really doesn't matter if Jonah didn't say anything else. God, God's word was spoken, and, and it worked, because the very next verse, Nineveh has a response. It says that the men of Nineveh believed in God, and they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth. So that means that they believed and they repented because that's what fasting and sackcloth is. They believe this message from God because, again, it doesn't come back void. And then the king hears this message, and, and he gets up. He takes off his royal robe. And this is the king of a great city, right, of 120,000 people. But he takes off his robe. He, go, he puts on sackcloth. He goes and sits on a pile of ashes. So he personally repents. And then he says, you know what? No Man or beast should eat, they shouldn't drink. Let's put a sackcloth on every person and every, every animal. And then here's the, key, here's the key thing. He calls out, he makes this proclamation to do that, and he says, each must turn, this is at the second part of verse, verse 8 in chapter 3, each must turn from his evil ways and from the violence he is doing. Who knows? God may turn and relent from his burning anger so that we will not perish. What, what great faith from a pagan king, right? Hey, sounds like it can be the end, but I'm going to repent anyway, and maybe God will turn. And then the good news is, in verse 10, then God saw their actions, 
that they had turned from their evil ways. So God relented from the disaster he had threatened to do them, and he did not do it. Wow. Praise God. I really do thank you. Joking. Joking. I'm not done. I wish it ended there, because really it does. It, could, it fits, okay? My, the name of my, uh, I, I entitled my sermon here, God Uses Reluctant People, because based on Jonah, the reluctant prophet, God got what he wanted in um, what God set out to do in chapter 3. And, and I will be honest here, it could end no matter what there, because he did use a reluctant prophet. The guy ran away, uh, he was in the belly of a great fish, and he spoke a lame, it appears to be a lame message, and God still used it, and the people repented. It, it is beautiful. It's, we, could, we could rejoice over that. But for some reason, there's another chapter here. And in chapter 4, it reveals what really was going on instantly here. I'm going to read the first verse here. What was going on in Jonah's heart. But Jonah was greatly displeased, and he became furious. Whoa, okay. So he's furious, so I don't know what's going on here. And then he prays to the Lord. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said while I was still in my own country? So in the, chapter 1, that's why I fled towards Tarsus in the first place. I knew, I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become anger, angry, rich in faithful love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, please, please take my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. So he's accusing God of being a loving God. The, the great prophet Jonah of, of Israel, called by God, God's chosen people, called to be their prophet, who was asked to do a special thing for God, is throwing a hissy fit. And it doesn't get any better, to be, to be honest, because God actually asked him there, what? Really? You respond that in essence, that's what he says. What? You want to die? And then Jonah goes and, and pouts. He runs off on a hill and builds a fort and, and pouts. And God feels sorry, or he feels, or wants to comfort him, you know, and let maybe cool down, literally cool down. He puts a he raises up a plant, puts it over his his head, and then Jonah's like, ah, oh, this is great. This is great. And then God takes the plant away, and Jonah has another hissy fit. He was so attached to that plant. And he says, I just want to die. And God, and God this time says, wait, 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 wait. For this plant, you want to die? And I'll imagine a three-year-old, yes! It's so bad, I want to die. <laughs> so again, this grand prophet, who was a believer, who was a servant of God, is acting like a spoiled little child here, which I admit I do myself, that my flesh can take me there. And it's a wonder. And God then says, wait a minute, I have something to say to you, Jonah. And this is how he ends the whole book. The Lord says, you know, you cared about the plant which you didn't labor over and didn't grow. It appeared at night and it perished at night. Should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, which has more than 120,000 people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, as well as all these animals? Well, and that is a very wonderful and gracious response, and that is how he ends it. Well, open question to Jonah. We don't know at all what happens. I do want to share this. So it's, 
I forgot earlier to share, during the time of King Jeroboam II, Jonah at first was a prophet. Then, there's two other prophets that are during that 41-year reign, though. There's the, the prophet Amos, and there's the prophet Hosea at the very end. And if you're interested, you know, go and read those books, too, because God has some things to say to Israel, and that may, that may reflect on, on what, uh, what did happen, what could have happened to Jonah. At least get some idea. Um, the Bible never says. But when I was going through these, these four chapters, and I've mentioned them, some of these already regarding Jonah, but I noticed four reactions that Jonah has. Okay? Now, these reactions are, these are reactions that Jonah had, but they're reactions that we have too because we, we pretty much are a lot like Jonah. Jonah was just a person. And it didn't matter that he had this great position and this great responsibility. People act ridiculous sometimes, and he did, and, and so do we. So I would like to go through each of the four R's that I see for reaction, and I, I label them all with R's of Jonah. And then I want to talk about God's desired response, how God actually does respond, and how he would really wish that, that we would join him in that response. And the first is pretty simple. We saw in chapter 1 that Jonah rebelled. Okay, that's simple. And, and we can see when I explain the whole story, he's, he's rebelling all over. But in chapter 1, he just simply, he simply ran away. Verse 3 ends with he wanted to get away from the presence of God. So he didn't want anything to do with what God had asked him to do. But God was actually calling Jonah into relationship. And he had this really this special thing, these people that he wanted to give a chance to, to be delivered in a foreign nation, and he called Jonah to this. And interestingly enough, when I was looking uh, for a verse that, to kind of reiterate that God wants a relationship, he wanted one with Jonah, and he wants one with us, I came on Hosea 6.6. 6. And remember, I just mentioned that Hosea was a prophet during King Jeroboam II's time, dur during the very end of it, but God spoke to the prophet Hosea saying this, I want to show love, you to show love, not offer sacrifices. I want you to know me more than I want burnt offerings. Wow. He wants a relationship with us more than anything. And maybe, this is just, spec, this is just a speculation, maybe Jonah was one of those people in Israel uh, that Hosea was, was talking, talking to. But that's really important because as we move into chapter 2, and he talks about how he wants a relationship, remember I said that Jonah relented. In verse 9, you know, he's sinking, he's crying out to God, and then he, then he relents. He, he says, but I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. I will fulfill my vows for salvation comes from the Lord. But we just heard that God desires relationship even more than sacrifice. Because what was going on in Israel at that time, they were, they were following the, the rules. They were sacrificing, but their hearts weren't with God. And that seems here that Jonah does that too. Kind of like, oh Lord, you are God. I know that. I know that you're God and I'll offer sacrifices to you. They're of, of praise and I'll do what you tell me because you did call me out to be a prophet. But what I don't really see from Jonah, I don't really see a true heart repentance. Like, David, in his psalm, would say, Lord, forgive me, and now I turn back to you. Jonah's psalm doesn't say that. He just relents. God wanted repentance. 
Psalm 51, 17 says, The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. And I can say this, that if Jonah would have obeyed from the beginning, if he would have gone to Nineveh right away in chapter 1, God still would have asked for repentance. He would have asked Jonah to preach repentance to these people. And guess what? We have good news there, right? In chapter 3, the people do repent. Which is wonderful because it takes us then to the next thing that once we repent, what God wants to do with us. So Jonah goes in chapter 3, preaches this resolve message, this seven-word message. Right? Doesn't mention anything about repentance, but they do. They repent. Maybe sometimes we're just resolved. Okay, I'll obey. I'll do what you say. But we won't really have a heart for who we're, who we're working with. It. You know, they're children of God, and God is looking out for their well-being as well as ours. And maybe we, you know, hey, we obeyed, but we really haven't turned our heart to what God wants. We really haven't laid out our own uh, pride and our own uh, biases or whatever they are that we're holding on to. So what God does here, because Nineveh did re- repent, he restores them. God wanted once restoration for us because when we repent, then God, now you're humble. I can work with you. I will work with you. I will lift you up. In fact, this is what happens when God restores people and, what he, and groups of people. Isaiah 40, 31 gives us a wonderful picture of that. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That is awesome. That is, he lifts us up. That is reason for us to rejoice. But that is not what Jonah did, and that's a lot of times not what we do. A lot of times we go and we act ridiculous, like Jonah did, right? Didn't I say before I left home that you do this, Lord? That's why I ran away. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Steve, last week, didn't you talk in chapter 2? Didn't Jonah say something when he was talking to God about people that cling to idols, pretty much reject unfailing love? Last, that's, so Jonah, out of Jonah's mouth, Jonah thought he was talking about somebody else, and out of his own lips, what is he doing here? He's rejecting God's unfailing love. He's accusing God of having unfailing love. And again, Jonah's a person. I know that I have done that same thing. I've been angry with someone and hang on to my own pride, angry at a group, whatever it is. And I, if I would only receive God's love, that could begin a healing and then I could join along and I could rejoice with somebody being uh, rewarded or treated special or getting, being healed, uh, being saved. And God does want rejoicing. Our Lord Jesus said this in Luke 15, 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over the 99 others who are righteous and haven't yet strayed away. Or or the people that think they're righteous, right? Like Jonah or, or me or us sometimes. That God he rejoices over the repentance, over that. He rejoices, he lifts them up and he rejoices. 
I love how Jonah ends. And I know this isn't chapter three, this isn't chapter four. And Kent's going to talk to you, Pastor Kent's going to talk to you more about chapter four next week. But I love how this ends. And I do ask that you would let these words sink into your heart. You know, Jonah just accused God of all this and basically says he wants to die. And then God comes back and he, he says he closes it with, should I not care about the great city of Nineveh, of Cedar Rapids, which has more than 120,000 people, people who cannot distinguish between their right and their left, people who need my help. I ask us to think about that right now. In the great city of 120,000 people, Cedar Rapids, or the Cedar Rapids, this area, who is our Nineveh? What is our Nineveh? Is it somebody who politically thinks very different with us? Because we are running into a lot of that these days. Is it an ideology that we hang on to and somebody has a completely different one? Is it a, our child that is a wayward or a family member that rejected us? Could they be our Nineveh and we're not willing when God is calling us to him to, to go there? And maybe because, God forbid, they would repent, but they deserve so much worse. God doesn't think that. And think about this. If we have Ninevehs, we're probably somebody else's Nineveh. Or we were. Think about your own salvation story. Many of you probably were real pains in the hind, hind end. I was. I am. And people were patient with me and loved me. And I'm sure that I was a Nineveh. I'm sure I still am a Nineveh. I'm, my personality probably rakes people. So think about that. We are somebody else's Nineveh. But finally, I want us to think about this. I have a question there. Have you been shown mercy? I'm going to turn that around and say, we have been shown mercy. Mercy by God. I want to end it with this, explaining that mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 says this. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, has made us alive with the Messiah, even though we were dead in our trespasses. We are saved by grace. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that we are saved by grace. I thank you that you give us that, that beautiful gift of grace. And, and Lord, when we are off, a little off the road, Lord, you just ask that we repent and turn back to you. And Lord, you restore us and lift us up. And most of all, you draw us back into your presence where we can be filled with your love and then we can pour that love out to others. What, what beauty that is. We, we thank you so much. Uh, for the mercy and grace and love that you provide us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you would like to support the ministry of Cedar Hills, visit www.cedarhillscr.org.